Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga Podcast. Yeah, we're back. Uh, Audiovisual try number two. <laughs> <laughs> we had some technical issues last week. Uh, we tried to pull through this week. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, very, very well. Hopefully our listeners can hear me a lot better than they could last week. I uh, apologize again for that. Uh, but yeah, very, very well. Looking forward to heading to Germany tomorrow for the Leipzig-Real Madrid game. And it's just coming pretty thick and fast right now, isn't it? It is coming pretty thick and fast right now. We have... Four more match days in the Bundesliga left until the World Cup in Qatar kicks off. And then we have two more match days in the Champions League left. Uh, no more German Cup. That's done. That's not coming back until uh, January. Uh, the draw is completed for that as well. But yeah, still a lot of ma games to be covered um, until the World Cup. And I guess oh, the table looks intriguing, Stefan. I think it's like one point separating each of the teams all the way down to the bottom. Yeah, something to crazy like that. Something. Yeah. Um, yeah, to 12 plays. It's just uh, the Bundesliga. What did they say? It's like football or league table porn. Um, I guess some people are into that. <laughs> yeah, it's But just it's the same old, same old really Bundesliga, isn't it? Mm, yeah, so it's like uh, 23, 22, 21, 20, 19, 18, 17, 16. So uh, one point each between first and all the way down to eighth. And then uh, Leipzig and Gladbach are both on 16 as a Köln. Yeah, it's been an interesting start to the season for sure. And I think we have a lot to chat about this week, about the things that happened this weekend. So we should probably dive right into it. This episode of the Gegen Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, players' news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That is betonline.ag. Make sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. That's BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V. BetOnline, where the game starts. Um, yes, so... I'm kind of struggling here with what to start. And I guess the best thing to start with is the story that emerged today with both Bellingham and uh, Mukuku possibly linked to Liverpool. I mean, this has nothing to do at all with um, Liverpool really struggling in the Premier League. And 
those two doing quite well for Borussia Dortmund, Klopp's former club. Like no hint, link here at all. I think you know this is this is I think where we need to maybe separate the two a little bit. Like I don't know if Jude Bellingham leaves in the summer. Um, I have no idea what his personal plans are. I know he's under contract for quite some time still, but. Kevin Hatchard, who is a friend of the show and has been on the show in the past, um, had this idea that maybe we'll see Musiala and Bellingham sort of do what Haaland and uh, Lewandowski did for a short time in the Bundesliga and sort of be the star leading man, right? And then, of course, he also added the caveat that Dortmund probably sell Bellingham before that can really happen. And I think this is probably something that we just have to accept, that Bellingham mm. sooner or later will leave the Bundesliga. I think the question here, before we get into Mukuku, because I think that's an interesting separate topic on its own, I think we have to accept that Bellingham will eventually will leave, whether it's this summer or, or later. I don't, here's the problem I have with him possibly going to Liverpool. Mm. I don't think they can afford him. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, that's kind of basically what pops into my head as well. I mean, I mean, it's, it's something we have to talk about in general because it's something that Eden Terzic has basically alluded to himself in his press conference this week when he uh, described Dortmund as a step for Jude Bellingham, which yeah. you know is something that you can quite easily kind of overlook until you actually kind of look at it in black and white on paper, and you're like, "Did he just describe his own club as a as a stepping stone uh, for this guy's career?" And of course, we all know Jude Bellingham's not going to stay at Dortmund forevermore. And, you know that's that's kind of fine, but it's just kind of weird when the head coaches talk about mm-hmm. it, and 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 you know. Terzic himself is like a you know self-proclaimed Dortmund fanatic, so it's weird that he's even kind of bought into this idea that these guys are just here to kind mm-hmm. of you know do some classes, learn some courses, and then move on and become and graduate from the Dortmund academy, shall we say, uh, and then go play for a proper club. So it's it's I've, I've yeah. that kind of that made me feel a bit uncomfortable as a Bundesliga fan, to be perfectly honest with you, um, but you know the reality is obviously Bellingham is going to move on. Um, I must agree with you, to be honest with you. I I, I kind of feel like the whole, mm. the Liverpool thing seems like low-hanging fruit by the media, in my opinion, in the sense that, you know, I think they just kind of look at Jurgen Klopp, yeah. Borussia Dortmund, la, 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 he's going to have to go there. And how many times did we see this with Erling Haaland when it was constantly linked to saying, oh, well, you know, Klopp's got a special relationship with Dortmund and Dortmund have a special relationship with Liverpool and, and Haaland would love to play for Jurgen Klopp and blah, 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 blah. And it's just mm. kind of like, well, actually, no, at the end of the day, they're going to go to whichever club pays the most money for them and, you know, whoever can afford them at the end of the day. And even though Liverpool kind of have this kind of transfer strategy of spending huge amounts of money on specific players each summer, you know, I'm talking like Alisson, for example, Van Dijk, uh, and obviously David Nunes this season, Um yeah, there was obviously who was his face in the January signing the Brazilian. Who's yeah, I've already forgot his name now. Um, sorry, Artur. Yeah, Artur. So it was Artur. It's just kind of like it. They they, they do kind of have this kind of you know transfer policy. So perhaps they could sit down and say, right, we need to kind of break the bank to bring a new centre midfielder in uh, in the summer. So let's go for that. But. As things are kind of looking right now, you have to kind of wonder whether Jude Bellingham would want to move, move there because it's not... I mean, obviously, the Premier League is obviously always very difficult 
mm. and teams kind of fall in and out of the top four all the time. But at Liverpool, there's this kind of specific issue where, you know, there's this kind of talk about whether this team's coming to the end of a cycle, whether the club itself is coming to the end of a cycle under Jurgen Klopp, which is obviously something that Bundesliga fans be well aware of. Yeah. And even if Liverpool could afford him, and even if, you know, Jurgen Klopp was able to kind of charm Bellingham him into the idea of coming to Dortmund, uh, sorry, coming to Liverpool, you have to kind of wonder whether that would be enough if Liverpool, for example, were to finish like 7th or 8th this season and there was no real clear sign that, you know, the squad was turning a corner under Klopp or whether the club mm-hmm. had the money to fix things because, you know, Jude Bellingham could quite happily sit there and say, well, not quite happily, quite rightly sit there and say, well, I've just been carrying Dortmund for two years. Why would I want to move to Anfield and carry Liverpool for two or three years while you're trying to rebuild things? So I think I, 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 by no means would I say it's impossible and by no means would I say it's a, it'd be a terrible move for Bellingham because I think Liverpool fantastic club. Jurgen Klopp's a great manager, obviously. Uh, and they basically on the verge of creating history last season. But yeah. um, it's there's a lot of things kind of pushing back on it, in my opinion, right now. Yeah, I, I think, and I actually looked up uh, Bellingham's contract. Uh, it runs until 2025. No exit clause. Uh, Dortmund have, have no need whatsoever to sell him next summer. Right? I mean, like, really, they're not mm-hmm. under pressure until the summer after to do it. So I think this this is going to probably play out very similar to how it did with Jaden Sancho where there's going to be probably a ton of talk about a transfer next summer. It's going to lead all the way. There's going to be deadlines set and all that nonsense. Um, everything to really make it impossible for Dortmund to actually set up properly for a Bundesliga season, because <laughs> that's how it, how it goes often for them. Um, and then ultimately, he's not going to move because there's no no reason for him to move um, in, in that summer. And there's no reason for Dortmund to sell, only for them to sell then the year after. So 2024, right? which is also a European championship year, um, a European mm. championship, by the way, that's in Germany. So I, I look at this and say, why would Dortmund sell next summer if they can probably still command 100 million plus the summer after, right? Um, and I, I am, I'm looking mm. at Man City here. I'm looking at that point, Newcastle might be a top four team in England, right? Um, Real Madrid is always mm. thereabouts, and Real Madrid, and we talked about this last week, is one of only two clubs in in European football that ran a profit through the pandemic. The other one happens to be Bayern Munich. Um, I don't think Bayern Munich are in this conversation mm. because it's probably too expensive for them. Um, but you cannot count them out entirely either, right? So, but I think the big year will be twenty twenty four. Just based on the contract, and contract is is a good transition to the next guy, Yusufu Mukuku, right? Who's I don't know where that link is coming from. I don't think Yusufu Mukuku is by any stretch of the imagination ready to go to Liverpool and solve Jurgen Klopp's problems there. If anything, I think it's probably the worst step in his career <laughs> at this stage to go there. He's just becoming established at Borussia Dortmund. Um, there's a story that was run by Bild, um this week, um, which kind of explains why people have suggested to me that watch his birthday when he turns 18 in November, right? Um, Because there's apparently quite a lot of issues with Mm. the family trying to control the contract he's going to sign next. And once he turns 18, he has full control over the amount of money, where it goes, how he can spend it, um, and the structure of the contract he can 
ultimately sign, which the control he doesn't have right now has to go through his family, which is why there's been so much delay. And, um, and mm. this is, I, I think, why, you know, so many people in Dortmund said to me, watch, for, watch out for his birthday. Something will happen on his birthday, right? That's because when he's 18, he actually can, he has full control mm. over the money that he will receive. And with the family situation being the way it is, I can see why he's saying, like, I'm not signing anything until I can actually make that decision myself. I mean, fair enough, right? Um, but he's been in an excellent form mm. as well. And, um, you know, I can see why some media will jump on this and say, oh, yeah, he would be a great solution to bring in. And, you know, this he's the 17-year-old wonderkind. Um, while totally forgetting the fact that the 17-year-old wonderkind essentially just spent this entire last year and this year to actually get to the position where he's at and like ripping him out out of the situation that he's at with the support network that he has in Dortmund. And I, I seen him at the uh, post-game media press uh, mix zone, right, where I don't want to call her a minder, but, you know, a press woman that works with him directly, there is, there is, he's protected there. And I don't know if he is ready to really trade mm. that in for an environment that can be extremely hostile. Uh, and that is the Premier League, right? Um, so I don't know. I can't see this one either. Yeah. It's 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 such an odd suggestion because, I mean, people who listen to his podcast or who now watch his podcast will know that even like, what, two months ago, we were talking about whether he was even ready to be the step up at Dortmund, you know, and... Yeah. He did kind of have a string of games where he looked like he really had to kind of work on his fitness. He had to work on his kind of physical aspects of his game. And we were really questioning whether he could kind of step mm -hmm. into that number nine role. I think he's kind of done really, really well to kind of work on that. He's worked really well to uh, really kind of shoehorn himself into Terzic's side to the extent that, I mean, he's maybe had a bit of fortune in that regard. Maybe fortune is not the right word because of, you know, the circumstances, but obviously Sebastian Haller's yeah. had to step out of the game and Anthony Modesta hasn't really worked out either. So Terzic was more or less forced to play him. Uh, and it seemed like he was reluctant yeah. to, to be perfectly honest with you, because he did stick with Modesta for perhaps too long. Um, and I actually think Makuku has probably been one of the few bright sparks in that team. Um, there's a lot of players in that team who I think really inconsistent really kind of fair weather players as we maybe say you know um and can often let Terzic in the side down but he alongside maybe Jude Bellingham have really stepped up mm. and it's 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 great to see but it's 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 still far too early to really decide right this guy's the next Erling Haaland or he's the next Jaden Sancho or Christian Pulisic or whatever else um He's just at this moment. At this moment, he's just a gifted young player who's on a good run of form. And I think we're going to have to give it two or three years of consistent performances before we start kind of putting him in the same kind of bracket as, uh, you know, these guys who've gone for tens and tens and tens of not almost six figures uh, from Dortmund in the past. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It'd be really interesting to see what happens on that birthday when that new contract comes out and what kind of contract it is because he's been very vocal or his camp have been very vocal kind of from the get-go long before he became this kind of first team fixture i mean last season there are all sorts of reports in germany about how uh him and his father were furious that he wasn't getting game time he was pushing really hard uh to get a loan deal i think mm. if i'm not mistaken last january or maybe maybe up to this summer uh because he wasn't getting a look in so mm. 
they don't really have any well they probably do have a degree of loyalty obviously but they don't have any kind of qualms about saying look if you're not going to if you're not the best place for or for us we'll move on to another club and it'll be interesting if after the stretch of games and after he's getting his name linked with these sort of clubs if when the mm. when him and the club now sit down to this, discuss this new contract he says right well I want a few clauses and extra exit clauses in here in case you know I do have a good couple of seasons and Real Madrid do come calling. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm hearing three times three point five million is on the table for him. Um, it's a decent amount of money for an 18 year old. I, I guess mm. his argument is that Modesta is earning six million a year, <laughs> which is, in retrospect, probably turning out to be one of the worst six million <laughs> plus whatever the fee was. I think it was the fee was five to six million as well. So that's 12 million very poorly spent in retrospect. Maybe it's just, mm. maybe it still turns around. Who knows? But Mukuku is definitely an interesting one. And yeah, I, I think there, there's a few factors here. The way that he's played, um, the fact that he is in, in the World Cup conversation now, uh, thanks to the position that he plays and his performance in recently, including the goal he scored against Stuttgart in Dortmund's 5-0 win, rebound win, um, typical Dortmund fashion, right? Hot and cold. So, yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, Mukuku mm. to Liverpool is um, premature. <laughs> I don't like to talk about um, what other people report and what they hear and um, because everyone has their own sources and um, so be it, right? But um, yeah, he could he could go to the World Cup, which of course would increase his market value, would increase the the uh, the viewing numbers he gets um, and the attention that he gets, and that is a good segue to the next guy I want to discuss because boy, I know Frankfurt were good, Stefan. I could tell you weren't watching them. Um, they completely destroyed Gladbach in the first forty five minutes, and there was a point in that game where I thought Gladbach <laughs> have this ability this year to really get turned over quickly. Um, I mean, yes, Farke kind of put a stop to it in the second half, but I think that a lot of that was Frankfurt like saying, oh, we have a Champions League game midweek, we better take the foot off the pedal here a little bit. Um, Mario Götze reportedly on Hansi Flick's 55 preliminary man squad for the World Cup. That's an interesting one. I think Götze... I, I mean... <sighs> Yes. We have three extra players that can make that squad, right? And um, Mario Götze is an interest is an interesting player, and he has been really fit. I actually think every time I watch him, he looks about fifteen pounds lighter. He looks quicker. He looks younger too than when he left Dortmund for PSV, and and I actually think he's probably played a huge part in Frankfurt compensating mm. the the loss of uh, Philip Kostic, right? He does a lot of little things right. And he plays consistently for a team that is now in the Bundesliga top four. So I think he's making a very good argument for himself um, to be included in the World Cup squad. But I, I think you have some doubts on whether it actually makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's I feel like with Goza, it's such a tricky one because he comes with so much baggage um, in the sense that not not necessarily negative baggage, you know. I think the problem is that people just associate with that success at Dortmund, and of course that success for the German national team and during the World Cup, and 
he's just one of those players that for years and years and years, whenever he has moved to another club, people are almost kind of like enticed into being like, oh, well, what if he was to become that player again? What if he was to kind of reclaim that form? What if he was to become once again, like what was like one of the most attacking, one of the most exciting kind of number 10s uh, in the Bundesliga? And I think this, this, the problem with that is that, well, he hasn't really done that, to be perfectly honest with you. I know he had a very good spell in PSV uh, and Holland. And mm-hmm. I can understand why Frankfurt signed him. We said at the time, yeah, it's a smart signing because they're losing Costage. Kamada could be at the door as well. And he could fill into that kind of role as well. Yeah. He's done okay this season, but I don't feel like he's actually kind of blown the barn doors off. I think he's got like, what, two goals or two assists so far in 10 games, 10 league games. And although that doesn't really say, tell the whole story and, as you just alluded to, I've actually kind of done my best to avoid yeah. Frankfurt this season because I don't want to curse them. Uh, but <laughs> it just kind of feels like he's get. He's, it's, it's, it feels like he he gets a, a degree of media attention that maybe maybe isn't as warranted. Uh, and this kind of World Cup squad thing is a perfect example. This I saw Lothar Matthias in one of his columns saying that you know, oh he has to go, he has to go. He's a, he's such a great player, and I was like. Well, at this stage in his career, is he actually any better than like a Max Arnold, who I actually think would probably be a more useful player for Germany uh, at the World Cup because he can play holding role or he can play further forward. And whatever you want to say about how poor Wolfsburg have been recently, I think throughout the years, through the high high points and the low points, he's been like a yeah. consistent performer for them. So, you know, when I mean, the transfer marks currently have this kind of World Cup squad builder tool and when I was building my Germany team, I did kind of gravitate away from him towards someone like Max Arnold. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I could be proved wrong. And as you said, by the time the World Cup rocks around, he could be a regular starter on the Frankfurt team that are pushing on the top four, at which point maybe he does deserve to go. But I haven't really seen a huge amount this season suggest that he can really offer mm. a lot to this Germany team, more so than someone like Arnold. Yeah, it's it's a very good question, and I, I mean, um, we are building our World Cup squads at some using the transfer mark tool. It's a cool tool, by the way. I, I really enjoyed putting together my first squad, and um, I didn't have him included. I included someone like Hani Muchta, who's been really good in MLS, but you know, more for fun than anything else. Um, I'm gonna put a more serious squad and more thought into it when we do it on the show, right? But. Uh, I I have to admit I didn't do my research properly on this guts thing and I will do it um, further down the line because I did write a story on uh, Jama Musiala for Forbes this weekend, right? Looking at his underlying numbers and um, kind of making the point that mm. he's been the best in the Bundesliga this season overall. Um, but when I looked at a lot of those numbers, and again, I don't have them completely mm. in, in my head, Götze was actually quite high up there as well. Uh, in a lot of the underlying numbers from uh, that that I've seen on V Scout, right? Okay. Um, and it's more things like in the transitional play and the the build up that he does quite well. And I think what Flick is looking here for, without knowing what Flick is actually looking for, but I think this is trying to read his mind here um, as well as I can read minds. Um, I think what he's looking for is a player who can move the the ball through midfield quickly, and sort of create these transitional moments that the German national team has really lacked uh, in the last few games, right? The ability to move the ball from mm. 
um, central midfield to the attacking midfield into the final third. And I think Götze does this very well. And uh, he does this very well for Frankfurt. And it's it's the sort of numbers that don't show up well in terms of goals and assists, right? Um, but it is offering something maybe that the squad is lacking uh, a little bit. I mean, we always hope that Kai Havertz would be maybe become this player, but he hasn't really for Chelsea, right? Um, and I can't really see anyone else in the squad that could potentially do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last player who did this really well for Germany was Mesut Özil, right? Who was so important for them during the World Cup in 2014. And then obviously now is retired or semi-retired. He's doing something in Turkey. Um, but you know what I mean? And um, I think that's maybe what Flick is going for. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. Oh. I'm just not entirely sure if it'll ever come to be necessary. Because as you said, you know, those guys like Kai Havertz, there's... Serge Gnabry, there's Jamal Musiala, Thomas Muller. I don't think Florian Wurtz mm-hmm. is going to get into that team. I don't think he's going to be fit enough for the World Cup, so that's fine. But yeah, even then, you're still talking about three or four players in front of him. And unless something was to go drastically wrong, uh, maybe he's a smart player to bring on as a substitute. I don't know. But it's an interesting one to keep an eye on, that's for sure. And it, I guess yeah. it just goes to show that he's having a good start at Frankfurt uh, and performing well at that club does get you a lot of attention so um it's certainly worth keeping one an eye on i think mm-hmm. yeah i think that uh frankfurt overall has been interesting um as i said they're sitting now fourth in the in the table have kind of been sneakily heading their way into that into that top four just ahead of borussia dortmund um union berlin remain in first after mm. losing to Bochum, after beating Dortmund the previous week, <sighs> what is it with the Bundesliga and these teams slipping up um, when they really shouldn't? Is this? I, gu- I guess this is a good transition then to Union Berlin. Um, is this a warning sign that maybe the the, the party is over, or is it too early? What do you think? I, I don't think I'd say it's it's the party over. Um, I think if I'm right in saying, I'm just actually looking this up right now. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Union Berlin's kind of away form has been pretty ropey uh, for much of the season, to be honest with mm. you. They, they lost to Frankfurt uh, a few weeks ago as well. And from what I took from that game, it felt like Bochum kind of out Union Union to a large extent. You know, they score from a set piece and they scored a really good counter-attack uh, in the second half. And... It's easy to forget that this Bochum side were once upon a time kind of giant killers. Last season, they picked up a lot of big scalps. Mm. Uh, and I know Thomas Rice has moved on and looks like he'll probably be the Schalke head coach by the time people listen to this. So yeah. that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. But it's it feels like Bochum have kind of got back on their feet in the last couple of weeks. They've been kind of picking up decent results. Um, and I think this is kind of always going to happen. It's always going to happen against Union Berlin this, to the extent teams that do sit in and sit deep uh, will probably prove to be far more difficult for them than you know teams that don't. You know teams that maybe underperform or, mm. or underestimate them. And Bochum are just quite happy to sit in their box for much of the game. Be like, right, we'll come come have a go. And I think that's just something that's going to happen for Union over the course of over the course of the season. Not to mention the fact that when they leave that amazing stadium in Copenhagen, then that takes away such a big factor from them because that stadium is yeah. just so intimidating, which 
as we saw the week before when Gregor Coppel just kind of froze um, and let a goal go in. So I'm not I'm not really willing to kind of uh, burst all the balloons just yet. Mm. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, I have to remember Bochum to beat Frankfurt two weeks ago mm. quite decisively as well in that stadium. Um, and Frankfurt play a similar style in many ways than Union do, don't they? Really, yeah. that quick transition game, sitting a little bit deeper. And um, it seems like when those teams face a team that does the same thing, then, you know, it's a little bit more chaotic. And um, home advantage is huge. Um, it's actually a, a big factor, especially now that stadiums are full again in Germany, right? Um, yeah. So I I, it, I would say it's probably still too early to call the party on Union. Um, yeah. You know, at least they met the XG. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting you bring up Frankfurt because we kind of saw this last season with them when they would they would pick up yeah. results against big teams, but then they would struggle against lesser sides. And and the, and the best example of that is obviously how well they did in Europa League, where they continuously came up against teams. They were technically bigger than them, bigger club, whatever you want to call it, uh, who underestimated them. And they would sit deep, hit them in the attack, hit them in the counter-attack. Uh, mm. And they had a lot of success with that. And it's really interesting that we've now got two clubs in the division who are doing so well playing this tactic because I think I was talking to you about this maybe off-air, maybe I mentioned on the podcast. It's hard to tell what I say on and off the podcast these days, but I was saying it was really in- it's really interesting if what become, like the kind of legacy of this Urs Fischer Union Berlin side is that if, yeah. if he has a similar impact to how, like, you know, Jurgen Klopp um, or Ralph Ragnick had the gig impress in, in the sense that a lot of clubs look at what they're doing and they say, right, that's how we, you know, leapfrog a few clubs above us. And we start seeing a lot more clubs in the division start playing this kind of more defensive counter-attacking football, which I don't think is a bad thing, to be perfectly honest with you, because I think we probably need to see a lot more clubs kind of be a bit more humble on the pitch. Um, so, but yeah, that'll be really interesting to see if more teams kind of take inspiration from Frankfurt and Union Berlin going forward. Yeah, and I think you know if the founding father of this is, in my opinion, uh, Frankfurt. Union Berlin have taken it definitely to another level, but Frankfurt started doing it under Adi Hütter, right? Um, Oliver Glasner who comes from mm-hmm. a similar background as Adi Hütter does as well. Did it really successfully at Wolfsburg and was fired for it. <laughs> And went to Frankfurt and won the Europa League. <laughs> um, Wolfsburg have not been as successful since. Uh, I think that's a coaching departure that hurt them more than anyone else. Um, but, you know, Adi Hütter is mm. definitely one of the coaches that probably kind of started this trend. Um, but the guy who was probably first successful with this and sort of, you know, put put built the foundation in Frankfurt and we a lot of people keep forgetting this. I mean, there's the sporting director, Freddy Bobic, who's now at Hertha and is slowly but ter- surely turning that ship around, it seems. Um, but Niko Kovac, and that's probably why Wolfsburg ultimately went for mm-hmm. Niko Kovac, right? Is because he was kind of the founding father of this mm-hmm. brutalist football style that won Frankfurt the DFB-Pokal. His style, not surprising, then was completely unsuccessful Bayern Munich because why would Bayern Munich play like that? It makes no sense. But um, it's interesting that Frankfurt sort of then managed to find two other managers that sort of were able to build on the style and refined it, right? And Urs Fischer at Union Berlin seems to be very successful with it as well. And I think 
I think there is a little bit. I mean, there is still a lot of counter pressing, gain pressing. Um, like that, that style still exists in in the way those teams play, but at the same time, um, it is it is definitely a lot less. You know, the, the put the, you try to sit a little bit deeper. You try to be a bit more aggressive. You, you, a lot of the times, these teams don't play with four at the back, right? Um, there is there is more mm-hmm. a lot more reliance actually on a quick transition game and the floating midfielders. Uh, Frankfurt, in fact, play with two Kamada and Götze, right? Then there is uh, it, mm. it, it's it's a lot more about trying to get speed through midfield rather than trying to play with this high defensive line, and it's. Yeah, it's an interesting development, and I wonder if that will have an impact on on how football is going to be played in Germany overall. Yeah, just keep an eye on it and see what happens. Maybe, maybe, maybe the Bundesliga just needs to hire more Italian coaches. Maybe that will accelerate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's a, an interesting one too. That we have to keep an eye on what will Stuttgart do. What will you know? Uh, Schalke look like they're going for Thomas Reis, so they're going to recycle someone. In fairness, they don't have many options because of their financial situation. Um, financial situation is an interesting one too. You're heading to Leipzig, um, who have lost owner. Well, not owner. Owner is the wrong term to describe what Leipzig have because they don't really have an owner. But Dietrich Mateschitz has died, passed away. Um, our condolences to the family, of course. But um, I know he was in many aspects controversial um, for many people. And there's a lot of things that people rightfully don't like about the things he's done. In terms of, and I think mm. this is what what's the most interesting part for us, right? In terms of the show, um, what's going to happen with his assets? And in, in our aspect, it's RB Leipzig. And I think build, the build report that came out um, on, actually it was last night that it came out, um, put sort of the financial numbers out and Leipzig now outperforming uh, Borussia Dortmund in terms of revenue, um, making making money rather than losing money. They still have some debt towards Red Bull, right? Which they they have. Um, it's down to 100 million euros, down from 280 to 100 million euros, and it's being uh, quickly paid off. And there's long term the there's long term agreements between Leipzig and uh, Red Bull in terms of keeping it running. Um, I think the same is true of their other sporting enterprises, whether it's the Red Bull hockey team in Munich or the the Formula One team that. It's done quite well. Won the constructors' title, right? Again, this this weekend actually in Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think maybe the decision making process will change a little bit. Um, you know, there's some question marks on who's going to take over next. I think his son is in line, and then uh, the Thai family that actually owns fifty one percent of Red Bull uh, will might might want to have more input. But in the end of the day. Uh, that input it could go either way. It could mean more money. It could mean the same money, but not necessarily less. Um, but you are going to Leipzig to cover the game against Real Madrid. Um, really looking forward mm. for a what you what you're going to put out in terms of content. But also, I think it's going to be a really interesting game. Yeah, it should be an interesting game. It's a really interesting time for us, in the sense that they're on the verge of qualifying for the knockout stages, which God a few months ago seemed impossible uh, considering the kind of rut they were in at the start of the season yeah. Um, but yeah if they can pick if they can pick up a win against Real Madrid which might not be impossible since I think Benzema and Modric are out as well as Valverde uh, mm. so those are three big players um, 
but and and so like on the pitch there's some obvious reasons why they have to perform but off the pitch as well like it's just a really interesting period for Leipzig as you said that yeah. even though yeah, it's weird you, 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 I was almost, you almost want to kind of call him a founder um, of the club obviously because you know it's his company that founded them or well found is the wrong word stole mm. bought then changed blah 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 blah, blah. Um, but creator I don't know yeah um, <laughs> it's really interesting time because I mean the thing I'll be keeping an eye on is obviously how Nkunku and Guardiol do against like some really top top uh, opposition bearing in mind that they'll have a lot of scouts and a lot of people keeping an eye on them. Um, that's something I'm hoping to write about. Mm. I'll be writing a piece for the gig and pressing Substack, which we now do. We still, we, we now like to kind of do at the game match reports after the game. So hopefully put something out tomorrow night on that for subscribers to have a listen to or have a read of rather. Um, and yeah, it should just be a really interesting game to take in because I feel like even though the result of the weekend wasn't ideal, I do kind of feel like this team are kind of getting on track with Marco Rose's tactics. Um, and, yeah. you know, there's still so much football left to play. We, talk, we talked about this at the top of the show, about how there's only like, what, one point separating 12 teams or something at the minute. And I really wouldn't be surprised if, I really wouldn't be surprised if by the time we get to the World Cup, you know, Leipzig are top four or thereabouts and things have kind of stabilised. Now, the thing that might unstabilize all those things, unstabilize, destabilize uh, all those things, is what happens. What happens to Nkunku and Guardiola? Because there's obviously reports that Nkunku could move as early as January. Chelsea might want him right after the World Cup. Uh, I've been kind of speaking to some people in Guardiola's camp this week about something similar with him, uh, which will hopefully be I can put together in a piece later mm. uh, this week for transfer mark. So it's it's. I feel like Leipzig are kind of trying to avoid getting themselves into a kind of similar Dortmund situation where every time they kind of have the faintest whiff of success or approaching the top of the table, a big club comes along. Now, obviously, Bayern near enough decapitated them last season when they took a few of their best players and their head coach. And, you know, I feel like if that was any other club, there would have been a bigger outcry about that, as there has been in the past about Dortmund or maybe going as far back as that Bayer Leverkusen side that Bayern uh, pulled apart. Mm. But, you know, fine. No one likes Leipzig, so they don't really mind if Bayern kind of hoover up the players, whatever. But, um, yeah, I feel like they're going to hopefully try and avoid that. I think they want to try and avoid that, obviously. So, yeah, it's just an interesting game to go to. It's always nice to take in a Real Madrid match as well. Uh, and see what the European champions are up to. Mm. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, very. It should be a very good game. Um, it's a, it's an interesting stadium too to go to and cover matches. And um, no Red Bull though on Champions League nights. I'm sorry, Stefan. <laughs> sorry, not sorry because <laughs> you know this stuff is poison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you know it was quite funny when you were when we were, when we were talking about when you were kind of talking about the concept of maybe like Red Bull pulling out of the club and I was like God that would be it'd be a disaster for them but in the very but the silver lining to that cloud is they could at least start build uh, designing some proper kits because honestly yeah. Leipzig must have the worst kits the Bundesliga I hate the stupid Red Bull thing they put across it and the amount of times the way they have to kind of compensate for that by just oh the horrible strips they really are more or less usually terrible strips so of course, fans of the German football would rejoice if you know if Red Bull pulled out. But 
here's me saying at least it have some nice strips afterwards. Yeah, I, I, I was contemplating this quite a bit. And then when I saw the financial numbers, I think they make almost as much money with the sporting enterprises than they make with the actual selling the cans of Red Bull. So yeah. there might be some changes in how the teams run, um, but I don't think they're going to pull out. Um, if yeah. anything, yeah. it might get, it Maybe. might become more aggressive. You know, sometimes when the younger generation comes in, it becomes more aggressive. Whether it's the missing billionaire son of the Thai family or Dieter Mateschitz's son, Markus, <laughs> one mm-hmm. of them takes over. Um, yeah, there's a story that came out in Austrian. Uh, I don't know how true this is, so I'm going to put a huge quotation thing around it. Um, there's a story that came out in Austria today that the son of the Thai billionaire family that owns the 51% stake is currently in hiding after he drove over a policeman in uh, in Thailand with his Ferrari. It's sad and funny at the same time. Um, so he's in hiding abroad somewhere. Um, and of course, the, the headline was Thai billionaire son missing after driving over in German. The, the slang word for policeman is bull. <laughs> I bulle, right? So... There was a nice little word play on that. Um, obviously, <laughs> horrible if true <laughs> as well. But yeah. um, we'll see. I, I, I don't think I don't think Red Bull has any motivation of pulling out. Um, and I also think that the the other thing that we have to keep in mind, Matas has been sick for a long time. Um, we just didn't notice, mm. but apparently he's been sick for a long time. And someone like him will have a succession plan um, in place. Mind you, you and I both watch Succession. We know how messy that can be. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd love to. I'd love to watch a HBO drama about Red Bull. Um, the only other thing I'd maybe add to this probably wrap up is just that the interesting thing is that Matishitz was obviously he was really passionate about the sporting aspect of all. He's the guy who said, "Let's go buy these sports franchises. Uh, let's stick our branding all over them." But then he also said, "Well, hold on a minute. We can actually." make these things better. What he did in the F1, for example, really yeah. interesting the way that they kind of revolutionized a lot of things through the sport. Uh, and I think he was obviously the kind of burning incentive behind Red Bull in general, sticking by sports comp- uh, sports franchises and developing this kind mm. of Goliath that we have today. So maybe concern if you're a Leipzig fan saying, well, if does, does, does his successor have that same passion uh, or are they just going to be looking at the numbers on a spreadsheet and saying, right, you have our you have our um, support until this point or something? But yeah, we'll just have to wait yeah. and see. It'll be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, definitely fascinating times in Leipzig. Um, that's it from this week's episode. Hopefully the audio video all works out. Um, it's been great fun. As also want to point out that um, please subscribe. There's going to be a lot of good content coming. Um, Stefan will be doing stuff on Leipzig I'm doing a piece on Chupu Muting this week um, simply because he's been outstanding <laughs> he can't, we didn't talk about him much today because <laughs> yeah what are you doing Stefan? yeah and, and in contrast yeah and in contrast I'm doing something with a striker who's not doing very well in Patrick Schick mm. so hopefully by the time this is out people will see my newsletter and I'll be kind of explaining what's going wrong for him this season. Yeah, an interesting story as well. It's kind of like the reverse, the striker out of nowhere that's doing really well and the striker out of nowhere that did well last year and not so well this year. 
uh, two interesting topics. So we haven't forgotten about yeah. those topics, but you you get it in written form, in depth, um, the usual analysis. As always, the show is brought to you by Bet Online. Uh, yeah, subscribe to our Substack. Give us a review. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel once this is out. And feedback is always welcome. Um, anything that I'm missing, Stefan, before we wrap this up? No, I think you got it. Awesome. Well then, until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.